The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 41. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. May God bless the reading of his word. Father God, we thank you that one day, oh, that one day you will return as a conquering king, not as a humble servant as you came before, but as a conquering king, Father, a ruler, the creator of all things, and all things will fall down and worship you. God, we thank you. We give you praise this morning, Father. We pray, God, that as we come to your word, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, you would work in our thoughts, Lord, that you would move in a way, Father, to help us to become more like your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to be a people who are ready for your return. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I'm uh, on the tail end of, a, of something, so I've got a lot of coughing going on, so I told Dana to be ready to jump up here and pick up where I had to step down, so she's on standby to uh, preach y'all my sermon. Uh, that's a joke. Y'all aren't laughing. Uh, that, if y'all, y'all don't know Dana well enough to know that that will never happen in all these years, so uh, Anyway, we're in the uh, uh, fifth discourse of Matthew called the Olivet Discourse. It's where Jesus is sitting on Mount Ol- the Mount of Olives, and he's talking to his disciples and preparing them for uh, his leaving earth. And the subject is the end times and the temple and things like that. And so uh, last week, as the disciples asked Jesus about the end of the temple, he told them that before the temple is destroyed... Uh, as he had predicted it would be, he said there will be a time of tribulation and suffering and distress, and it'll be characterized by conflict. And he said, and then the end will come. And so we've uh, been looking at what that means for us in our day, and what we see is the times are very similar. When Jesus is talking to his disciples who are awaiting the, the nearing of the destruction of the temple, we learn from that about how we should live as we await the, the nearing of the arrival of Jesus to, uh, just to, to reestablish his kingdom on earth uh, as we know it's coming. And so we learn from them that Jesus told them that in this time of difficulty, don't be alarmed, don't panic. I've told you that this is coming because if you panic and get alarmed, you're going to just follow after false messiahs and you're going to fall for false 
uh, Gospels. And so we were challenged last week to remain faithful. And we kind of challenged ourselves in two ways. One is remain faithful to the one true gospel message that we see in the scriptures. That we should not yield to the temptation to, to nuance that gospel. To change it at all. You know, there's a lot of parts of the gospel message that we don't like to hear in the flesh. We don't like to hear that we're sinners. We don't like to hear we deserve the punishment of God. We don't like those concepts. And so there's, it's popular to tweak them a little bit. And we were reminded, don't tweak the gospel because that's no gospel at all. So one one thing we need to do in the days ahead as we await the return of the Lord is to stay faithful to the one true gospel message. And then we also saw that we were challenged to stay faithful in proclaiming that gospel. He saved us with that gospel in order to send us out with that gospel message. As you are going about your day, doing your job, doing your hobbies, doing your, your work, doing all that you do, he says make disciples and then we also all cut checks and fund the sending of missionaries uh, for to live overseas and, and different parts of the, of the globe to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and we go on short-term mission trips to kind of support their gospel work. And so all that we're doing is to equip you to be sent with the gospel message as a church. And so today we continue along these lines. He's saying, be faithful until he returns. Today he says, and I am going to return. And so we're going to do two things today. We're going to look at the the that Jesus will return in power, and then we will also see that Jesus will return without warning. Those are the two points of the message. Jesus will return in power, and Jesus will return without warning. Now, as I said last week, we're in chapter 24 of Matthew, which is a very challenging text to, uh, to interpret. There's a lot of different opinions on how it breaks down, uh, whether the events are talking about events of 68 to 70 AD, or they're talking about the future. And what I would say is, yes, they are talking about both. I think that Jesus is uh, speaking, speaking to his disciples about the events that end up taking place at 70 AD and the destruction of the temple, but I think they're in the word of God for us to help us know how to behave and think and respond as we await the events of his return. And so whether you think it is exactly this or that, I think we can still take the same point away. We're taking lessons away as readers of the Bible, on the return of the Lord. And today we're going to see two things. Jesus will return in power. The first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. It says in the scriptures that he would not bruise a reed. He was a suffering servant who gave his life on the cross for our sins. The second time he comes, not so much. He comes as a conquering warrior king. And we'll look at that. So his coming will be in power. We'll look at that first. Secondly, we'll see his coming in power will be without warning. There will not be warning. When I thought about these messages about the return and the effect of the uh, unsuspected or the sudden return of the Lord, I could not help but think of summers when I was growing up as a kid. Now, I grew up with my single mother raising three Crazy, insane boys, as you can only imagine. We were out of control 90% of the time. So Saturdays, I knew my mom's pattern. Saturdays, she went to Albertsons on Southfield. That was like 30 seconds away from my home. But for some reason, it took her about five or six hours to get to Albertsons and back. I know what she was doing now that I'm adult. She was sitting in that deli, drinking coffee, and eating whatever they served just to say, let them terrorize the house. I need a break. 
So on Saturdays, it became this scene where mom would go to Albertsons and the three brothers, the three boys would go absolutely crazy. Except for me, I was studying my Bible and I was having a quiet time while my brothers tortured me. They would try to pin me down and do chicky bake on my chest and do all kinds of torture. And I just had time with the Lord. I was praying. I was innocent. And so that day became a long, long day waiting for mom to come home from Albertsons. And all sorts of evil deeds took place while she was at Albertsons. And the only restraining influence on our life was the fact that any moment she could drive up that driveway. And, and we, we had a set of view out the window that was not very far. So by the time we saw her, there was not much time to hide the evidence. And so it kind of had a restraining effect on our behavior that she could show up any moment. And that's what we see in our text today, that Jesus could show up any moment. And it will affect how we live. It should affect how we live. And the main point today is be ready. Trust Christ today. And then next week we'll see what it looks like to live each day watching and ready and expectantly waiting for the Lord. Lord, would you help us this morning? Would you prepare our hearts? Would you work powerfully in hearts this morning? I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in every heart in this room, that you would convict us all of our desperate need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would be prepared for the moment that you arrive. It could happen even during this message. So, Lord, I pray our hearts will cry out with faith that Jesus is our King, our Savior, our Lord, so that we are ready for that day. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so first we're looking at Jesus will come in power. We see this in verses 29 through 31. Before we read that text, let's review the context. If you'll remember from last week that Jesus walked into Jerusalem. This is chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, leading up to where we are in chapter 24. So Jesus walks into Jerusalem, Matthew says, and what's the first place he goes? He goes to the temple. And what does he do in the temple? He gets frustrated because he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you're not praying, you're just doing business, you're not treating the temple, there's no fruit, no spiritual fruit, and so he turns over the tables, he walks out, he sees a fruitless fig tree, he says, you'll never bear fruit again, it's spiritual and figuratively speaking about the nature of, he's condemning the temple, and so when he walks away from them, he looks at the temple, he says, they said, look at this amazing temple. He says, there's going to be a day where not one stone will, left, will be left on top of the other stone. In other words, this temple is over. It's condemned. It will be destroyed. And then he says, now as for my coming again, he says, he already, when he came into Jerusalem in chapter 21, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which was a prophecy of what would happen when the Messiah came. But he, after the fact that happened, speaks about another day. He says, and you're about to not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he brings up two issues. The temple's going to be destroyed, and I'm coming again in victory. And so what does that do in the temple, in the, in the disciples' mind? They ask two logical questions about those two statements. Number one, when, and what's it going to look like? When will the temple be destroyed, and what's the sign of your coming in power? And so that's the setting, that's the context. And so in verse 29, Jesus continues his answer that we started looking at last week where he said, well, the temple will be destroyed 
after a time of tribulation. And so last week we looked at him saying that there will be a, a season of delay. There will be a time of delay. And that time of delay will be characterized by crisis and tribulation and turmoil and conflict. There will be all kinds of conflict. And, and we see that he's setting that up. And then he says today and finishing the answer to that question. The question again being when will the temple be destroyed? He says today in verse 29... Immediately after that tribulation of those days, these events are going to happen. Now, I'm going to read these events, and you're going to see why this is very confusing. Because these events sound, automatically, our brains go, end times. So before we read it, don't go there just yet. Stay at the temple with the disciples. And I'll explain why. And this was a big turning point in my head this week. And I give credit to R.A. France and his commentary for explaining this. So this is what makes this passage so hard, this chapter 24, because these words sound automatically to us like end times, return to Christ. It's clearly what he's talking about. But I'm going to argue that, no, he's talking about the day that the temple was destroyed, but that does inform us about that day. So continuing in the answer, when will the temple be destroyed? Jesus says there'll be a delay of tribulation, a time of tribulation to the disciples. And then he said, now immediately after that tribulation, the temple will be destroyed The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Doesn't that sound like end times? Okay, well, bear with me. Jesus is not saying that, in my opinion. He is saying that he is using Isaiah 13 language. He's using language that Isaiah used in Isaiah 13.10 to describe when Babylon conquered Jerusalem many, many ages before Jesus' day on the earth. So with that language, I'm going to read to you what Isaiah said about a previous day when Babylon conquered Jerusalem and show you it's the same cosmic sounding language. Listen to Isaiah 13.10. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light and the sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. So you hear the similarities in the language. Sun, moon, and stars darkened. Well, that was talking about a day when, when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. It wasn't talking about the Perusia, the end day when Jesus returns. It was talking about a day that's already happened. And what was going on in that day? When Babylon conquered Jerusalem, it was a massive power shift. This text is all about power. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. It's cosmic. It's apocalyptic. It's parable. It's, it's, it's poetic language that is describing the power shift that is taking place. And so when Jesus, when they ask about the destruction of the temple, he's answering them, it's going to be the destruction of the temple will be a cosmic power shift. This will be like earth-shattering event when the temple is destroyed. So continuing along that lines about what Jesus is saying about the temple being destroyed, in verse 30 we read, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Okay, let's stop there. Who is the Son of Man? Well, that comes from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel in your Old Testament spoke, God gave him a vision and said that one like a Son of Man will come to the Ancient of Days. And so let's read that Daniel 7 passage so you'll see where Jesus is coming from. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says this. Again, a long, long, long time before Jesus walked on earth, Daniel saw a vision and this is what he said. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, came to God, 
And he was God, he, the Son of Man, was presented by God. He was presented to God, and to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus is talking about the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Himself that Daniel prophesied who would ascend to the throne of the ancient of days and be given all power, all dominion, all authority over all kingdoms of all languages of all people will bow and serve him. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. So y'all follow me so far that Jesus is saying accompanied with the destruction of the temple will be Jesus' own ascension to the throne and be given all authority and all power and dominion. Okay, so far we see what's going on. And so he's tying the destruction of the temple with this cosmic power shift from the temple to Jesus. And he says now something about a sign. He says the sign of the Son of Man. He says that it will appear in heaven. Now, let me read to you that text. Uh, it can be written differently. Instead of saying, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, it could also be written, then will appear the, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So what is he saying? So I think Jesus is saying that at the destruction of the temple... It will be a coinciding with that event will be Jesus' ascension to the throne of God, given all authority and power, and there will be a sign that the Son of Man has ascended to the powerful throne of God. What is the sign that is to signify that he has been enthroned? When we continue reading in verse 30, the sign is... That the tribes, all the tribes will mourn and they will see this son of man coming with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So the sign that Jesus is on his throne... The sign that Jesus who died and buried and rose again and ascended to heaven. The sign that he is powerful, reigning and ruling as John, as Paul said in Romans 1, 4, that he resurrected and was made the son of God in power. As Hebrews says that he is reigning on his throne with, until he is, his enemies are made his footstool. The sign that Jesus, this man who walked in humility and gave his life as a servant. The sign that he rose from the grave and ascended to great power as the Daniel 7 son of man. And who has all authority in heaven. The sign that that is what has taken place. That he is in heaven right now reigning and ruling on the throne. Is that you and I are reaching people for Christ, that the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. The sign that he is reigning now is the church. The witness to the power of Jesus is that we are sharing the gospel and lives are being changed in every tongue and every tribe of every nation. That radical, powerful transformation that is changing the world from a man who walked on earth and was humble and meek and died. 
but claimed to be God and rose again and ascended to heaven the way we know that he really ascended to heaven and is reigning in power and glory is that the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth. The four corners, he says, the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other, the elect are being gathered. God's gathering his children as they hear the gospel and they come to faith. This is the evidence on earth. This is the sign that you know Jesus is reigning and ruling on his throne today. So what? Jesus is saying is the end of the temple is a cosmic earth-shattering power transition, power change, like it was when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. That Jesus is the picture of the temple. The temple was there to point to Jesus. The, The priests were there to point to Jesus. The sacrifices were made to point to Jesus. Jesus is the tabernacle dwelling of God. Jesus is the great high priest who went into the Holy of Holies and sacrificed his own life, his own perfect, own sinless body as the sacrifice for our sins. And when he did that, he didn't say dead. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the throne of God as Daniel said he would. And how do we know that's true? Because you and I are here today believing that Jesus is God. And we have been sent with that message. And he is reigning and ruling on that throne until the last person has been brought in. He says, then I will come. And when he comes, he will come in power. It said in in that vision that to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Revelation 19, 11 talks about when Jesus comes back in power. Listen to this poetic, apocalyptic language that that describes the power of Jesus. Contrast with his first coming when he came humble and meek to, to die. In the second coming, he comes with great power. It says, then I saw John talking about a vision. Then I saw heaven over. Opened and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on that horse is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems on his crown. And he has name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure are following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword to which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written his name, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming back with power, brothers and sisters. Are you ready to face such a powerful ruler and king? Too many times we think of Jesus as the suffering servant, but we forget the conquering king that he is. He first died so that no one would have to face his wrath on that day. 
So Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back with power. And the destruction of the temple, if you put yourself in the, in the mind and the day of the disciples, when they said, now when is this destruction going to happen? He said, it's going to be a delay. It's going to be a difficult season. But then the end of the temple will come. And that end of the temple will come. It'll be a, a signal to you that, that there's a power shift that has taken place. The temple's no longer the center of your power structure. That Jesus is the temple, the sacrificial lamb, the priest of God. And when he died, he buried, rose again. He ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And he has been enthroned with all dominion and all power and all authority. And he is waiting as the gospel goes forth before he comes back. And when he comes back, he's coming back as a conquering king, and he will deal with his enemies on that day. So Jesus is coming back in power. But Jesus will also come back without warning. In verses 32 through 41, we see Jesus will come back without warning. Notice he says, from the fig tree, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, from the fig tree, learn its lesson." As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You can take my words to the bank. These things are going to happen, and they're going to happen in this season. So let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes again. It teaches us about where we are, but first, let's look at where they were. They were waiting the end of the temple, and Jesus says all these things, and then he says, now, when you see the fig tree, as soon as its branches become tender, you know the season that you're in. You know summer's right there. I'm no botanist, but I, I get the idea. The season, you know what season you're in by seeing these things. He's telling the disciples, you know you're in the season of the end. We can learn from this about our own situation. We're in the season of the end. Nothing else in the Bible, nothing else is told of us to, to us that this must happen first. You should live with the realization you are in the final season. They're asking for a sign. Well, when's, he gonna, when's all this going to happen? When are you going to come back? And we want to know. When's he going to come back? Because we want to know. When's mom coming home so we can straighten up? And he says, no, no, no. No. You know the season. You need to be ready. I'm at the gate. I'm at the driveway. It's about to go down. He told those disciples, this generation will not pass before this all happened. And his words were true. The generation, they were, the disciple, I mean, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So he, you can take his words to the bank. What he says comes true. So when he tells us in other places of scripture that we are in the end, the last season, his words are true. I have a hard time believing that. I have to remind myself and being in the word of God reminds me, Tracy... Jesus could come back right now. That's what he's telling us. Know that you are in the final season. He's at the gate. His words are true. As for the hour, 
Nobody knows. In verse 36, concerning that day and the hour. Now Jesus shifts to their second question. The first question, when would the temple be destroyed? He's handled that. And now he shifts to their second question. What's the sign of your coming? We want to know the sign so we can really be ready. He goes, no, you'll know the season. But as for the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven or the son, but only the father. Only the father knows the exact moment. And that's for our good. So interesting that in them asking for a sign of the exact moment, he says, you won't get a sign. You won't know. And so when someone tells you, oh, he's out here, don't go out there. When someone tells you he's in the inner room, don't go in there. Don't be looking for signs. Don't be looking for all these things that you hear on the internet about all these different scenarios. You should know, I'm at the gate. You're in the season. That's all you need to know. Be ready every moment of every day. He says, because here's what it's going to be like when I come. It's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Look at verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, went to a beautiful wedding last night, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. In Genesis 7, God warned Noah, a flood of judgment is coming. Noah is a picture, this, this whole narrative is a picture of the gospel. God warned of the coming judgment, just like we've been warned of the coming judgment. God gave him a way of salvation from the coming wrath. Now, Noah had to believe God, evidenced by his obedience of faith. And he built an ark. And then he was prepared for the coming wrath of God. Now, what he's saying in this text is, you need to be like Noah and have the faith of Noah and believe in Jesus Christ. Because the wrath is coming. And when it comes, it'll be just like the flood of judgments that came that day. The flood that's coming will come suddenly and swiftly and without warning, and it's too late to build a boat. It's too late to put on the life jacket. It's going to happen fast, and you'll be doing your job, and two of you will be on the farm. One will be working, and next thing you know, one is swept away with judgment. Two ladies will be at the mill. One will be working. Next thing you know, the other one's swept away with judgment. There won't be time to take care of business. There won't be a warning. Now, what is that time in our life? It's the second coming of Jesus, or it's the day we die and go see him. Who of us knows either one of those dates? No one. We can't know the date, the hour, the day. All we can do is be ready for that moment. So Jesus is saying, as for the hour, you want signs, you want me to tell you exactly when I'm driving up the driveway? You don't get that. You live each day with expectation, with expectancy. And you live life knowing it could be right now. It literally, literally, it's hard for me to believe it, but it's true. It literally could happen right this second. And so Jesus is saying, you need to trust me right now. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
He's the life preserver. He's the ark of our salvation. He's the only hope of being saved from the coming floods of his judgment. Now, Jesus wants you to be saved. He wants you to trust him. And so today is just a straight up, don't let all the language and the cosmic language and all the confusion of the end times confuse you. There's one message that is clear. He's coming with power and he's coming without warning. The only way to be prepared for that day is to put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for your sins. That's the point for us today. He's coming back in power. He's coming back without warning. We should all know we're in the season, and no one knows the hour, but we've been warned. Are you ready to face that day right now? We're going to sing a song that says, come as you are. It's talking about coming to the altar. You know, we don't use the altar a whole lot. I want you to please use the altar. If God's talking to you, if he's putting, if you feel your heart beat a little faster because the Lord's talking to you, you need to come and do business with the Lord. I'm standing up front. Talk to me. I'd love to pray with you, anything I can. After the services, we always kind of hang out a little bit just to be able to talk to you about what's going on. Do not leave this room thinking I'll take care of that another day. The whole point is you won't have time to deal with it when it comes. Father, I pray that many will be saved this morning from the coming wrath by trusting in Christ alone. Lord, as we sing about come as you are to the altar and we sing these words, may they be the expressions of our heart. May people come to the altar and pray, asking for Uh, forgiveness, trusting in Christ, asking for courage to spread the gospel to others who need to know the gospel. Pray for faithfulness in that area. I pray that much business will be done during this closing song that is pleasing to you, our King. It's in Christ's name I pray. sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted let a rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come kneel earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, all who are broken, lift up your face.
Father God in heaven, we praise you and thank you so much. Thanks for telling us about what is to come. Like you did, Noah, thank you for giving us a way of escape. Thank you for giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that all of us in this room, if, if we have already trusted Christ, we know of those in our life who we are burdened that they too would trust Christ. I pray that during this song we've laid those burdens down at your feet, the king of the universe. And we, we trust you and we call out to you and we ask you to move powerfully in their hearts that they may know you as Savior, that they may have the faith of Noah, that they would 
prepare for that day that they would come, that today would be the day of salvation for them, Lord. I pray that for everyone in this room, that all in, in this room today, that no one would leave without trusting Christ as Savior today. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your long-suffering that you would uh, warn us and prepare us and give us a way out. And that way is Jesus Christ, who gives all glory. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.